and we lift our eyes off of all of that. And we lift our eyes up to you, for you alone are worthy of our attention, of our heart, of our love. You're worthy of all that we are, all that we have, for you've held nothing back from us. Lord, you have displayed your love for us in a manner that we can't even begin to grasp fully. So help us tonight to refocus our hearts, our minds. Father, wherever there is a need for an adjustment in our hearts tonight, would you do that by your Spirit? Wherever there's a need for encouragement tonight, would you do that by your Spirit? Wherever there may be a need for correction, would you do that by your Spirit tonight? And some of us may even need a good kick in the seat of the pants. And you love us enough to do even that tonight. So we put ourselves into your hands and we trust ourselves to you for you alone know what it is we need tonight. And we're so grateful that you've given us your word. We're so grateful for the presence of your Holy Spirit as we honor you and worship you. And we trust in him tonight. Not in ourselves, not in any man, but we trust in the precious Holy Spirit to take the words that you put in my heart the things you've been doing in my heart from your word and breathe them, the breath of life, into all of us. And for these things, we thank you in advance. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Praise the Lord. Well, give the Lord a hand clap. I know it's kind of carnal to do that, but sometimes we just need to do that. Praise the Lord. You may be seated. I was remembering as we were singing that those last two songs. Uh, you know, it's wonderful. You wake up in the morning and the birds are singing, the sun's out, the dog loves you, the wife has a cup of coffee in her hand. Now you wake up and you just, you know, you can, God's presence is there. You just, you're just ready to go with the Lord. And that's wonderful. But there's some mornings I wake up and it don't feel that way. The cup of coffee isn't there. The dog just wants to go out, and it's raining or snowing. And I woke up that way the other morning, not with those circumstances. I woke up that way the other morning, and, and I just let you know I'm just as real and human as you are. I, I, didn't, I woke up having a pity party. <laughs> it was a good one. The only problem is nobody else would come to it. And I'm sitting there trying, feeling sorry for myself, trying to, knowing what I'm doing, trying to get out of it. And all of a sudden... <laughs> It wasn't a vision. I could just see the Lord on that cross for me. And I began to realize, John, what business do you have of feeling sorry for yourself, of even thinking of yourself? One one so holy, one so wonderful, one the Son of God would not just come to earth, but would hang on that cross to redeem your life. And to redeem your life, so instead of condemning you to hell for what you're doing right now, there's the grace there, the opportunity for you to change your mind and come out of it. And it snapped me out of it like that. Because it got my eyes off of me and got my eyes on Kim. So just maybe that'll encourage some of you tonight, or maybe it's just for me. So welcome tonight, those of you that are online watching. We're so grateful that you are with us tonight. We are going to, I believe, finish up 
this teaching series on renewing the mind. And it's, uh, I really felt the Holy Spirit telling me as I was going along that I was not just to teach what I've taught before, but I was to teach it out of what God's been doing with me. And tonight is going to be a really great example of that. We're going to kind of sum this up tonight. And this may well be the best of all of them. So I'm glad you're here. I'm glad I'm here tonight. So Romans 12, 1 and 2, these are, these are signature scriptures. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. We've been through that. Chapter, verse 2, this is our signature verse. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God is. So what this is all about is those two words, conformed and transformed. Conformed is what we're not to do. It refers to a Greek, it comes from a Greek word, which means to be pressured on the, from the, on the outside, to be molded to look exactly like what that mold was. And it refers to the pressure of this world for us to think like this world, talk like this world, act like this world, because Satan couldn't stop God from saving you and getting in you. So the next best thing is to stop anything that God's put in you from coming out of you to affect anyone else. Put that verse back up, because the next thing we are to do is to be transformed by the renewing our mind. And the word transformed is just a very different word. It means to take what is on the inside, your nature, and bring it to the outside so that it's now visible. It has an effect on those around you. It becomes a witness to those of, around you. And this is what Jesus said in Acts chapter 1. You shall wait in Jerusalem until you do it powerful on high. Then you shall be witnesses of me. Not witnesses of my church, not witnesses of my doctrine, witnesses of me, who I am and what I'm like. And we'll talk a little bit about that tonight. So that's the process. So put the first slide up there, just very quickly reviewing. This first slide is very important. It's the one we started with. The first slide, it's under... Oh, it's over here. Okay. Oh, that's right. It's going to be transferred over here. So, okay. <laughs> okay. So, on the left-hand side, this is, again, quickly a view. This is just a sampling of when you received Christ, what was put in you. These are the characteristics, and literally what he did is his spirit came to live in you, and all of his characteristics are in the spirit of Christ who lives in you. So the left side is what God has done in you. The right side, the vital side, is how much of that is showing up on the outside, and the process that does it, which is represented by that arrow, is the renewing of your mind. Then the next slide, if you can put that up, this again shows the parts of us. The left-hand side is the spirit that represents the real you on the inside. That's where God has deposited the spirit of Christ. The right-hand side is the body. That's your physical, obviously your body. And because these come from two different realms, they do not naturally contact each other. So God has given you a bridge, which is your soul, which is your mind, your will, and your emotions. And then the next slide quickly. So this is all about your soul because that controls how much of what's been put into you comes out of you. And your soul is made up of your mind, your will, and your emotions. And the part of you that controls all of this is your will. And that's what the battle is for. The battle, the Spirit of God is, is working in you. God is at work in you both to will and to do His good pleasure. He's at work in you to bring what's on the inside of you out. But you have an enemy 
And that enemy is working to keep that on the inside of you. And the battle is your will to decide which way that goes. That's what the battle's for. But the battleground, the battlefield, as Joyce Myers wrote so well in her book, is your mind, which is why the renewing of your mind is so critical. And I am, I am going through some very transformational things in my life simply by applying these same principles. I just was talking with a, a friend of mine who's a retired pastor who's also a licensed counselor. We were talking about these things, and he sent me an article written years ago about a, a, a 1960 a counselor in 1960 that wrote about how to, how to get out of depression, and these are exact same principles he talked about, same things that we talked about. So anyway, they're just discovering what God known, has known all along. So that's what we've been talking about. What we're going to talk about tonight is I'm going to take you on, we're going to begin to apply this. So we've learned how the mind works. It works in patterns of thought. We've talked about the process for renewing the mind. This, my, these notes are, are, again, they're published. Uh, and I guess last week there was a problem they're both in. Uh, so we talked about the process, which is changing, because your mind works by thoughts. Thoughts become imaginations. Imaginations become strongholds. And so you don't, the process isn't to tear down the old strongholds. You replace them with new ones that are based on God's Word. And those, the process is by taking intentional thoughts that are going to paint the correct pictures, which will become the right strongholds. So, we've learned practical schools, practical skills for doing that. And last week we talked about a very important part of this process is change, the attitude of change. If you don't have the right attitude about change, you can learn all these things, you can practice all these things, but your will will not be involved because your will doesn't want to change because there are certain things that go along with change that you may or may not have decided yet that you're willing to do. Okay, now that's great. When I taught this course, the times I've done before, the very last 10 minutes was suggesting some areas of your life that you may want to apply this for. And this is where God's been dealing with me in my own life. So we're going to take tonight and take one of these areas, the most crucial area, and we're going to begin to talk about that. And then I'm going to give you some, some scriptures and things that you can use. So let's start with 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Paul's talking here to the church at Corinth because for a number of issues that they had. And he's trying to explain because they were, there was a, I don't want to go in the background, I'll, I'll lose time. So Paul says, this is Paul writing to the church at Corinth, for we, and by that he's referring to other teachers that have come through because they've been forming cliques around those teachers. So I guess I will explain it. So they form cliques around these teachers. So some say, well, Apollos, he was a great teacher apparently, and some say, well, we're of Apollos. And some say we're of somebody else, and some say we're of Paul. And Paul gets upset at this. He says, he says, did I die for you? Was I crucified for you? Was Apollos crucified for you? Only Christ was crucified for you. So when he talks about we are God's fellow workers, he's talking about these other human beings that, that, that God has used to bring the gospel to them and to help them to grow and develop. For we are God's fellow workers, and you are God's field, you are God's building, According to the grace of God, which was given to me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation, and another builds on it. But let each one of you take heed how he builds. For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Christ Jesus. So the point of this is this. 
This refers to the foundation of the church, which is ultimately what he's talking about here, but it refers to the foundation of your life. Ultimately, the foundation of your life is, is, the, is, the, is the revelation of who Christ is in your life for you. It's the personal relationship with Christ. That is the foundation. It's what Christ has done for you. It's who Christ is in you. So whatever else you're going to build, whatever else you're going to renew your mind to, whatever books you're reading, whatever these things, the foundation for it has to be, has to be, what God has done for you, what God has put in you in Christ Jesus, who you are in Christ, and who Christ is in you. It's the foundation for everything in your walk with Christ. It's found your foundation of understanding for everything you do as a Christian. If it's going to be productive, if your life is going to truly mean something and be changed. So, The foundational truth for renewing your mind is the reality of who God has made you to be in Christ. Now listen carefully. And this is where where it's important because we've been taught many different things. It's not just that God has saved us from hell. It's not just that God has opened the doors of heaven. And if that's all he did, I'm going. All right. But God has recreated you. God has recreated you. So we're going to talk tonight about, about, not the process, we've already learned the process. We're going to talk about where you should target your process, your, your, what you're going to do for renewing your mind, what you need to renew your mind to. And that is your identity in Christ. The term, the theological term for this is regeneration break the word down, it comes from the the root of its genesis, which is a birth of something, and re in the beginning of it is to do it again, which is the new birth. It's a recreation of who you are. And, and, And we'll talk about this at the end, but I know you know this, but how deep down in you has it gotten? I've been a Christian for 43 years. I've been a pastor for well over 20 years. And some of these things are just now getting down inside of me and changing me on the inside. So we're going to walk through some of this tonight, and then I'm going to challenge you a little bit at the end. So let's look at some of this. This is what we're going to do. We're going to do tonight. So he's recreated you. 2 Corinthians 5.16. These are all familiar verses, but we're going to meditate on them a little bit together. Paul's talking here about, therefore, from now on... the beginning of this chapter, he's talking about, uh, the end of the chapter 4, he's talking about the right perspective that we are not to, we're not to get our mindset on things on this earth, but on things that are above. He talks about that, and he talks about then, chapter 5 begins with the, the heavenly vision we're supposed to have. That if this tent we've been given, which is this body, if it, if it, when it dies, we have a heavenly home. So he's trying to change their focus to who they really are, the spirit being that they really are. And so this is part of that process. Therefore, that's the therefore which went before. From now on, we regard no one according to the flesh. That word regard regard means see, consider, think about. So he's talking about our identity. So he's talking about how we regard one another. He said we no longer regard one another according to 
the flesh. Now, what does that mean? Well, you know that it's Pastor John that's teaching to you tonight because you look at my flesh. You see my white hair. You see my, you know, my general figure, and you recognize me, so you recognize, you recognize that this is Pastor John that's standing in front of you, teaching you. But that's not who I am. And we look at one another that way. We look at one another as, oh, okay, there's, there's, there's Gary, right? And I recognize Gary because I recognize his outward shell, what he looks like. But that's not Gary. That's not you. And more importantly, when you get up in the morning and you look in the mirror, that's not you either. And for some of us, that's good news. Because as Paul says at the end of chapter 4, although the outward man's perishing, he's getting older, the inner man is being renewed day by day. So Paul here is trying to get them to focus on who they really are on the inside and who's really, really in them. So when he says we don't regard one another anymore according to the flesh, that's what he's talking about. He said, even here's a comparison, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh. Now Paul didn't because he never met him while he was still on this earth in that body. But many people alive at that time had. He said there's a time when we identified Christ. We had a rela- they had a relationship with him because they could see him, touch him, hear his voice. But that relationship has changed. So we don't regard him that way anymore. Now, this is important to understand because Jesus was introducing this subject to his disciples back right before he was leaving them to go to the cross. And he was explaining, trying to explain this to them by saying, I, I'm leaving you now. The way you've known me, the relationship you've had with me, the way you've seen me and I've been with you, that's all going to change now. It has to change. I'm going to be leaving you soon. And I'm going somewhere and I'm coming back and I'm not going to leave you alone. But when I come back, it's going to be different. Because I'm going to come and I'm not just going to be with you, I'm now going to be in you by the Holy Spirit. And for that reason, it's to your advantage that we go through this change. And I'm sure they couldn't understand that. Because we don't like change. We like things the way we are. That's why you sit in the same seats. Because you're comfortable with that, most of you. Some of you move around and fool me, so I don't know if you're here or not. But, but, but we like those things, and so any change makes us uneasy. And Jesus knew this about the disciples, but he's telling them, this changes your, your relationship with me is no longer going to be flesh to flesh. It's now going to be spirit to spirit, and that's far better for you. And I'm sure they couldn't understand that. And I went through that exercise because that's true here. What he's telling us we have with one another, what he's telling us about ourselves is far better than regarding one another according to the flesh. Paul gets into this in Ephesians chapter 4. He talks about the spirit is the unity. It's what binds us together. What binds us together isn't this outer man that we all look the same. 
It's not that we all have the same color, we're all the same age. It's, it's the same spirit that lives in me, lives in you. We're bound together, and it's the spirit of the same Christ. And that's what Paul's trying to get across. He's the spirit of unity. I'll never forget when we first got saved. There were people I met that I never met before. And the moment I found out they were Christians, I immediately felt closer to them than family members I'd known my whole life. And I'm wondering, why is that until I discovered in, Romans, in Ephesians 4 that it's the same spirit. It's what binds us, binds us together. Okay, put that back up. So even though we've known Christ that way according to the flesh, we don't know him that way any longer. So he's introducing them to have their, their, their identity of who Christ is. You know, and we, we, churches have done this, and many of us have done it. You know, statues of Christ, and we have, you know, stained glass windows of Christ, and pictures of Christ, and that's okay, but that's not Christ. That's somebody's imagination. And if it were a perfect picture of him, that's still not him. Remember I showed you the picture of my, our grandson, Luca, in California? That's not him. He doesn't even look like that now. He's grown so much. Okay. From that, now, we don't know him that way any longer. So what he's telling us here is how we're not to regard each other, how we're not to regard one another, what our identity no longer is. Go to verse 17. He's going to tell us what it is. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, you're going to find out those are the key words we're talking about tonight. Because when you opened your heart to Jesus when you invited him into your life or whatever words you used, whether you did it down here in your living room, which is what I did, wherever you did that, if you really did that and he has come in you, you are in Christ. And we're going to talk about that tonight. And that's the concept you've got to get. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. We're meditating on this together tonight. He is a new creation. I've told you before, in the Greek, that word new creation literally means a new species of being that never existed before. And how come this is a new species of being that never existed before? Because it is a human being reborn with the Son of God reborn fused together. We are, we are, we are, he was a God-man. You are a God-man, God-woman. It's a new creation creation. That's who you are. And what we're talking about tonight is so important that you begin to renew your mind to who you really, really are. And again, I'll say this again at the end. I know most of us here know that up here. We know these scriptures. But how much of that has gotten down in here? And you can tell how much has gotten down to here by how much of what's on the left side of that chart has gotten to the right side of this chart. If anyone is in Christ, and that's the crucial thing, he is a new creation. What makes you the new creation is being in Christ. So for years, I, I thought that what Christ did for us, he did for us individually, personally, and then we had our own separate identity. So when Ephesians talks about that we're seated together with him in heavenly places, here's God the Father, here's God the Son, and I don't know who here is. It may be Paul, it may be John, it may be Peter, I don't know who's here. And then the rest of the disciples, of course Judas isn't here, are over here, and then it goes down and down and here, and somewhere way 
over there is me. That's kind of the picture that I had until it hit me that we're seated together with him, in him, in Christ Jesus. So you've got God the Father on the throne. You've got God the Son sitting next to him at the right hand, and you've got John Pfeffer and all of you sitting next to the Father in Christ Jesus. In him. Literally in him. It's not a symbol. It's not some abstract idea. In God's mind, now this is not your bodies aren't in him, but your spirit's been joined together with him, and you're one with him. So much of what Jesus talked about with his disciples talked about this union with him, being one with him. If any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. All things who you used to be passed away, and all things have become new. This is what God did for you when you were saved. A new creation. That, that new man on the inside is sometimes referred to as the inner man, the hidden man of the heart, your heart, your spirit, and who you used to be has passed away. Now you are new by being virtue of being in Christ, and this is the key to renew your mind to. He has baptized you into himself by the Spirit, and his Spirit literally lives in you. And that means Whatever he is, you are. Put up Romans 6, the scripture up for that. Now Paul's talking here about, he's just come through talking about we're saved by faith, and then he's talking about what what great grace is and what the price that God paid for that grace and now he's dealing with the issue of people taking that grace for granted. Well, if, if we're, sin abounds, grace does more abound, then let's just sin and we'll give God a chance to you know, abound us in grace. And he says, you don't understand. You don't understand who you are. You don't understand what you did when you came to Christ. Don't you know that as many of you as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? And we talked about this several weeks ago when we had a baptism service. And I'm just going to go over it again because I want to renew. I want to remind you of this. That word "baptize" is, a, is the Hebrew word "baptizo," which literally came from when they would take linen cloth and they would they would take white linen cloth and they would immerse it into the red or they would into the dye that they wanted to change it into. And when it got down into the dye, those fibers absorbed that red dye or blue dye. And now when it came back up. Its character, its nature had changed. It was no longer what it was before, a white linen cloth. It was now red, blue, whatever that dye was. They had become one together. That's what that's saying. And he says, if, don't you understand what that grace did for you? That as many of you were baptized into Christ, you were made one with Christ. And because you were made one with Christ, you were made one with his death. That's hard for us to imagine because his death, for us, his death occurred over 2,000 years ago. How can I be made one with his death? Well, Anita and I were married next month 55 years. And when we were married, and I've told you this before, when we were married, you know, we were young. She reminded me last week we weren't quite as young as I told you. (laughs) Off by a year. 
All right, but we were in our, she was, we were in our young, very young 20s. Had no idea what we were doing. And so when we got married, all we knew was we went through a marriage seminar and now we were living together, we were, going to be, we were married, we were going to live the rest of our life together and our past had nothing to do with it. And then as we began to know each other, we realized we each brought something into this marriage. We brought our past. And not only did we bring our past, we brought our families into this with whatever they were. And so, and you know, even at the, at the, the wedding reception, we found out some interesting things as our families tried to intermix together. And some of you are in families that still have that difficulty today. So my point is, when I married her and when she married me, it wasn't just me she was getting, it was who I was and what I'd been through. So when you're joined to Christ, you're joined to somebody that's been crucified. You're joined to somebody that's died. You've been joined to somebody that's been buried, and you've been joined to somebody that's been raised to the dead. And his history is your history. Now, we have to enter into that by beginning to live the same way he lived as somebody that was crucified, died, buried, and was raised from the dead. That's our part of it. But it starts with recognizing who you are. Because Christ is in you, the crucified one is in you. Now, some of you are looking at me, you'll get it. It'll eventually sink in. This is why we meditate on it. This is why we meditate on it. Okay. So, so you are new by virtue of being in Christ. The key to everything is that you're in Him, and this is even a little harder to grasp. He's in you. 2 Corinthians 5.21. Famous verse, well-known verse. We're going to take this apart, too. Again, we're meditating on this together. Second Corinthians five twenty one. God, He who made Him, who knew no sin, to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. There it is again. All of this is by virtue of you being joined to Christ in Him. Excuse me. In him means you're one with him. You've been joined to him. Just as we were one, we're joined together. But this is even more real because it's spirit to spirit. So this speaks of our union with him. On the cross, on the cross, the cross is the evidence of God coming to us to rescue us. God's son, when he was born in this earth and grew up, he's, God's son is a man, and he's God. But he, he took upon himself the curse that men were under. You and I were born, into, we were born into a life that's under a curse. The curse is caused by sin. Christ was born, and there was no sin in him. He didn't have the tendency to sin. So he who knew no sin at the appointed time went to that cross and became identified with you and me fully because you and I were people born under a curse. So in order to deliver us, he had to be somebody that became under a curse. The difference is his curse wasn't earned. His curse was received as an act of faith and love for us. Our curse was earned because every one of us has sinned. So he met us on that cross. He comes to meet us and to take our curse 
upon himself. And when that curse was paid for, now he could legally give us his righteousness. See, this all builds to something. So he took our curse upon himself. And then once that's paid for, he gives us his righteousness. But he doesn't just deposit a present of his righteousness in you. He deposits himself in you. Because the key to this verse are those last two words. That you might become the righteousness of God. Let's go back a second. Because I, for years I read, and I think many people still do, that God made us righteous. Jesus died on the cross to pay for our sins so he could make us righteous so we could get into heaven. That's not what that says. That does not say he made us righteous. That says he gave us his righteousness. He gave us, but he didn't give us his righteousness as a present separate from himself. He gave us himself. He came to live in you, and by virtue of coming to live in you, he has to automatically take his righteousness. But then he takes your sin. And whereas you could not bear that sin and live, he could bear that sin and live because none of that sin was his. So this is known as the great exchange, but what makes it the exchange is those last two words. This is what I want you to see tonight. What he's done for you, what he's put in you, comes in you by virtue of him coming to live in you, to be joined to you. So whatever he is, you are. That's why First John, John says this amazing thing. You know, we don't yet understand all this, but we know this much, that when he appears, we're going to look at him and we're going to be shocked because we're going to be like him. How could we be like him when we're so messed up and he's the perfect son of God? Because he lives in us. We're going to look at ourselves and look at us. Oh. Whoa. You do live in me. That is who you are in me. But we need to renew our mind to that now and not wait till then. That we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. On the cross, the Son of God enters into the fullest experience of what it means to be a member of a race of men under the curse of sin. He had to take on sin to identify with us since we were bound by a sin nature. And when it was paid, He could now join us to Him, and in Him we share His righteousness, His right standing before a holy God. Here's a quote from Martin Luther about this. Such a powerful understanding he had of this. Because Christ, this is in my notes if you want to get them. Because Christ is present, better yet, because in him my righteousness is already present. Christ is therefore not an object of my faith, but through faith he lives in me. For when in matters of righteousness you discern between the person of Christ and you are your own person, then you're still in and remain under the law, and it lives in you, which means you're dead before God and damned by the law. What he's saying here is when you see yourself as separate from Christ, then you start trying to act before God in your own righteousness. So the standing we have before God is simply because we're in Christ 
Jesus. Everything comes down to understanding that and allowing that to get down, down inside of you. Ephesians 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. That means blessings given by the Spirit in heavenly places. Here it is again, because we're in Christ. So whatever he was, whatever blessings he has, whatever blessing he is, is yours because you're in him and he's in you. He chose us. Keep going. Next verse. Just as he chose us, look at it, hear it again, in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before him, the Father, in love. Stay there. He chose us not to be holy without blame. He chose us to be in him, and because we're in him, we're holy and without blame. I've used this example before, and I'll, I'll use it again. And I, So if you've heard it before, I know you have. But three years ago when we went, we went to England, and this is where God got, really got this across to me, there's no way she and I can get to England unless we get in something. So we chose to get in an airplane. And we, we can't fly. We couldn't swim there. We're totally helpless to get to England. But because we got in an airplane, and that airplane had the ability to take us somewhere we couldn't take ourselves, we got there and we got back. In that airplane, when we were up at 40,000 feet, if we were, we were 40,000 feet without the airplane, we would die in a matter of seconds, aside from falling. It was 79 degrees below zero outside. There's no way we could begin to live in that. The atmosphere at 40,000 feet was not enough so we could live in, in it. But we could do all those things because we were in the airplane. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. I can do all things through Christ because I'm in Christ who strengthens me. He doesn't strengthen me from heaven his strength is because he's in me. If I will learn, if I will learn to surrender to him in me, then his strength, his wisdom, his righteousness, his sanctification is all available to me. First right. Corinthians 1.30. He's been made unto us. Wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. He's been made those things for us, and he lives in us through his spirit. Uh, verse 5. It's better. Having predestined us, that means just pre-planned us, to adoption as sons by, that's because of, through, Jesus Christ to himself. Think of the personal, personal, personal aspect of this. God adopted you by through Christ, by putting you in Christ to himself. This speaks of the ultimate purpose. See, Jesus went to that cross 
pay for your sins to deliver you from the curse so that he could legally give you his righteousness, which now gave you access, the same access he had, to go into the Father's presence to be adopted as his son just as Jesus is his son because you're in Christ. Adopted as sons by or through Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will. Is there another verse? To the praise of the glory of his grace by which he made us accepted, here it is, in the Beloved. And see, we tend to evaluate ourselves before God. This is really critical in prayer. Because somewhere inside we know ourselves and we just, we, we, we may say the words, but there's not that, often not that boldness to come in and really connect with God. There's not that openness to just be real and open. And yet the Bible tells us in several places to come boldly to the throne of grace. The word boldly means open. Say anything you want. God already knows what you're going to say anyway. But the, but the precursor for that are the verses before that when we see it says because Christ is the way, he's made the way for us. He is the way. To the praise of the glory of his grace by which he has made us accepted. How? Not because he likes you, not because you've been so good. You're accepted because you're in the beloved. You're accepted because you're in the in the beloved. Hebrews, excuse me, no, excuse me, Romans 8. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, so we shouldn't be afraid of God. But you received the spirit of adoption by whom, through whom, through whose agency we cry out, Abba, Father. Now the word Abba is an Aramaic word, and I think I've told—I know I've told you this before. We had a, a speaker here years ago who was a Christian Arab, and I, we were talking about this word, and I asked him about this word. He said, "He said, he said in Aramaic, what this word is like is like the the cry of a child when they're in de- in need. When you're a parent." And you've got a young child, especially your first one. You have to learn to discern the cry. Is that a cry? I want to be picked up. I want to, you know, or is that a cry? I'm, there's an urgent situation here, and I need help. And that's what this word is like. It's a cry that if you've ever been a parent like that, it, you have to do something. You're moved to do something, and that's what Abba has at its root. And it's the spirit of adoption through whom we're able to cry out, Abba. Father. So it speaks of this relationship we have with God as our Father, but the relationship we have with God as our Father is because you've been joined with and are in Christ His Son. So you've been made a son or daughter in Christ Jesus. We have the same relationship with God the Father that Christ has because we are in Him, one with Him, joined to Him. Let's go to Galatians chapter 4. It says the same thing. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that they may receive the adoption as sons. Go on. Because you are sons, 
God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So there it is again. Because you've been joined to Christ. Galatians 3. Now what we're doing is we're renewing our mind to this together tonight. For you are all sons of God. How? Through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put Christ on. There's neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free, there's neither male nor female, but you are all one in Christ. And if you are Christ, then you're Abraham's seed according to the promises. So he's saying, here's your identity as far as God's concerned. You're neither male nor female. You're neither Gentile nor Jew. Those are all your outer man. But you are all one where? In Christ. So Paul here is talking about what your real identity is. You are a child of God. We know that. But the reason you're a child of God is because you're in Christ. This is one of those things you're either getting it or not. And if you're not getting it, this is boring to you. If you're getting it, it will change your life. No longer identify us by who we were, but as together one in Christ. This changes how we see each other. This is what we started out. You put on Christ. And here to me is the, might become my, my favorite verse. Galatians 2.20. This is Paul. This is how he saw himself. I have been crucified with Christ. Therefore, it's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live in this flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Let me tell I, I go over this verse every morning until it's settled in me. And then when I go out into my day and I hit situations where I'm overwhelmed, Sometimes it's just looking at the news. Oh my Lord, what's, you know, what can we do? It looks so hopeless and powerless. I don't know what to do. I've gone into meetings. I don't know what to do. And then I remember, I don't need to know what to do. Because it's no longer I who live. It's now Christ who lives in me. So that the life that I now live in this flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Renewing your mind to who you are, who lives in you, who really has been put in you on the left side of that chart and renewing your mind. As you do that, it allows the Spirit of God to begin to manifest His life in you and begins to flow in you. Jesus was teaching His disciples. We're not going to show the verses. But in John 15, Jesus said, My Father's the vine dresser. I'm the vine. My Father's the gardener. I'm the vine, or in our case, I'm the tree, and you are branches. And he's talking in there about this, again, this image of unity, that we're one. The branch has the same unity that the tree has. So we all look in our yard, and there's a maple tree there. I don't look at the branch and say, well, that's a maple branch. Those are maple leaves. No, it's a maple tree. And the branches are maple branches because they're part of a maple tree. It also changes how we see one another because what connects the branches together 
the relationship they have is because they're part of that same tree. So they're not competing with each other. They're the, and the life that's in that tree that bears that fruit comes out of the trunk of that tree. It comes out of the sap. The life force comes up out of that tree and it comes through the branch and it bears fruit out of that branch, which is why Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. In other words, if you keep seeing yourself as separate from me, even though you may be going to heaven, even though I may live in you, but if you keep seeing yourself as separate from me, you've got to earn your way before God. You've got to make sure everything you do is pleasing to God. And you've got to do everything right and then everything gets evaluated around you. Then you're going to produce none of my fruit. The fruit you produce is your own effort and that won't give life to anybody because you can't give life to anybody. But if you'll abide in me, if you'll abide in me, then my life will flow through you and it will eventually flow out of you and it will, it, will, it will release what Paul refers to as the fragrance of Christ. And we're just coming, finishing a time of year. When I walk in the back here, when we come in some days, and there's this beautiful honeysuckle smell. And I just, where is it? Where is it? I want to find it. It draws you to this, this, the aroma, the sweet aroma draws you to the flowers, it draws you to the tree, it draws you to the... And when you get there, the idea is eventually you'll partake of what's there, the fruit that's there. And that's how this works. As Christ begins to flow out of you, not by your efforts, by your abiding in Him, by your renewing your mind to who it is that's in you and developing a relationship with who it is that's in you that allows Him, that gets you out of the way and allows Him to be able to flow through you and begin to touch the lives of people around you. In some ways, many times, you don't even know you're doing it. And that's the best way. You don't realize what happened. He just flowed out of you, and he used, he used you. Now, I can't see everybody in the back, but everybody who I can see, you know this. I mean, these are things you've been taught here, in this church, you've been well taught these principles and these things. But I come back to this question, which we started out with. How much of that is on that left, right-hand side of the chart? How much of it is coming out of you at this point? It's not to be condemned. It's to recognize that I know these things, but it's not knowing them here. It's having them become a reality down inside of you, renewing your mind to who you are in Christ Jesus is the most important thing. This is the whole purpose of tonight's message. It's the most important thing that you can ever need to renew because everything else comes out of this foundation, who I am in Christ. It's not who I am because of Christ. It's who I am in Christ, and who he is in me. Anything, and this is where Satan works so hard, Satan works so hard to get you to see yourself separate from Christ. 
He doesn't mind you believing in Christ because he can't stop that. He doesn't mind you coming to church, but if he cannot afford to have you take your eyes off yourself and see only Christ in you. He can't afford that. I read a statement once, one of the, one of the devotions that I read from time to time by Oswald Chambers, my utmost for his high, my highest for his utmost. I get it backwards one time. Okay. But there's a section in there somewhere in August where he talks about that, that we are to live our life totally absorbed in who he is, not who we are. See yourself separate from Christ begins to unplug you. It doesn't mean you've lost your salvation, but then he can't flow through you because you're worried about who you are and what you're doing. And Satan's primary deceit is to get you to keep your eyes on yourself. How am I doing? And one of the statements in there that changed my life is about your devotion to Christ. Wow, we need to be devoted to Christ. But Peter was so conscious of his devotion to Christ that he denied him. Because Peter's focus was on his devotion to Christ. And you've heard me say this before. John, who was the only disciple that stayed at the cross, John's whole focus, his whole image was on who Christ is and Christ's love for him. His identity is the disciple whom Jesus loved. Peter's identity is, I'm the one that's devoted more than any of you to Christ. And so that's where our focus has to be. That's where our attention has to be. If Christ lives in me with his life, his faith, and his power, how much of him is showing up on the outside in my daily life, in my contact with the world? Am I short-tempered? Am I having trouble forgiving people? Am I judgmental? Am I critical? That's not the fragrance of Christ. That's not coming from Christ. That's coming from your old man, and that man died. It's like carrying an old body around on you. After a while, it begins to smell. What it means is we have head knowledge. We've not yet changed the image down inside of us of who we really are in Christ, that this is real. In fact, it's more real than this pulpit. It's more real than your body because your body's going to pass away. This pulpit's going to disintegrate at some point. But who he is in you and who you are in him is eternal. And this is what Paul said. Though my outer man is perishing, this inner man is being renewed. He's getting stronger, getting more alive day by day. And Paul hadn't arrived yet, if you read Philippians chapter 3. Therefore, this has to be the primary focus for renewing our minds. Everything else changes when this foundation is settled. I meant to ask Pastor Ray, but I forgot to. There's a little book, if you want help with this, written by Kenneth E. Hagan with a simple title, In Him. It's a little mini book. And he talks about some of these things. But at the end, he lists every verse of the Bible that is either in, in the New Testament, either in him, through him, by him, with him. And I counted them. This tells you how important it is. There are over 143 verses referring to being in him or him in you. That's how important it is. And here's the key. You need to become sensitive to this when you're reading your Bible. 
Because I just showed you verses where it's in there two or three times and we're so quick to read over the in him. It needs to learn to stand out at you. In him is because this is possible. I have these things because I'm in him. So I'm challenging you tonight. I'm encouraging you. This will change your life. It takes time. But we've learned now. We've learned about renewing the mind. We've given you some tools and some keys. And I've given you some understanding of how to do this. And tonight what I really feel God wants to do is help you to focus on this is what you need to do. I don't care how long you've been. I've been a Christian 43 years. And maybe some of you longer, but, but a, a long time. I've known these things. I've taught these things. But they're becoming more and more real as I've focused in. But Christ literally lives in me today. Wow, what a difference that makes. Christ lives in me today, and I just need to learn how to get out of his way and to cooperate with him and allow him to take over. And that's how we're filled with the Spirit. The reason we're not more filled with the Spirit is there's still too much of us. And so he's trying to get us out of the way. Not leave, but get us out of the way. And the way you do that is to focus on him. It's in him by Kenneth Hagin. 143 verses referring to the New Testament. Let's pray. Father, we're coming to the end now of 10 weeks of taking apart, examining, learning how to apply this simple instruction that the Apostle Paul gives us. You've paid everything that you can pay. There's nothing more that you've held back. You've paid the price. There's nothing more that you can do so that you, through your Son by the Holy Spirit, can literally dwell in us. And there's so much at stake in our own minds. There's still so many of us that are bound up by fears, so many of us that are bound up by by. by, by by thoughts that we can't do this and by the limitations that Satan has sold us on. Many of us struggle with a poor self-image because of things that have been told to us growing up or examples or way we were treated either in our family or in school or, or places where we failed and, and, and somebody belittled us, whatever it is, There are things that the enemy has tried to build in us and and has succeeded in building these strongholds in us. And Lord, we see now that those are in that old man. That's not who we are any longer. But you, by your amazing grace, your, your intense desire for intimate and close relationship with us, your, your, your intense desire to, to, to live in us and through us and to affect and touch the lives of people around us the way those early believers did as we see in the book of Acts. When they wrote, when Paul came to town, those that turned the world upside down have come here. Father, we're living in a world that needs to be turned back right side up. And your only avenue for that is your church, your people, us. So tonight, Father, as we end this this study, we focus tonight on this crucial 
this crucial understanding down in our hearts. I pray for everyone that's here, everyone that's been part of this study, whether, how, whether they've been at all of the sessions or not. I pray for everyone because there's been an interest. There's been a drawing that you've, you've drawn them with. And I pray now, Father, for the Holy Spirit to begin to take over and to open the eyes of their understanding that they would truly see down in their heart the hope, the hope of your calling for their life that's in Christ Jesus. Father, strengthen them when they are tempted to be discouraged in this process. Remind them when they forget and help instill in them how important this is and what awaits them and the blessing and the victory that awaits them as this process works out in their life. And I'm reminded what the Apostle Paul said in Philippians chapter 3 when he said, not that I've already attained or already become perfected in it, but this one thing I do, I press on towards the upper call of God that's in Christ Jesus and forgetting what lies behind, I press on that I may attain to that upper call of God that's been given to me in Christ Jesus. Everyone in the sound of my voice, you have ordained a purpose for their life. Everyone in the sound of my voice, you have ordained a purpose. You've placed gifts in them. You've got a call on their life. And every one of them, in order to fulfill that, every one of them has got to press on to that upward call of Christ until it's been completed in their life. So instill in each one of us that drive, encourage us, strengthen us as we go forth on this journey together. And we thank you for this privilege. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.